Welcome to New Life Church teaching titled, The Beginning of Wisdom. Our teacher today is Alan Smith. Boy, he said, I'm wired with the presence of God. Amen. We do welcome you here today and welcome those that are watching online. It's uh, kind of a rainy day out, a good day to be at home taking a nap. I understand that. I get it. I get that. And there's a, I'm going to make a little statement here. I want to see if you can identify with it. It, uh, it feels good when I leave to know I've been at church. Anybody identify with that? I, it just, I feel good. I've also been to church and thinking, oh my goodness, this was not a good day to be at church. And uh, probably more my fault than anything else. But I'm just being very honest and my hope this morning is that when you leave, you can say it sure has been a good day to be at church. That we've met the Lord, we've had a, and uh, in a lot of churches that I've talked with, I've had some pastors, uh, they say, well, we want to change this, we want to change that, and I'm, and I'm all for change. I'm a, I'm a changeaholic, really. I love, I love change. But as I've talked to a lot of different churches, I said, well, it's important that when the people come and leave that they feel like they've been to church. Now, that might sound like a religious statement, but it's not. It's, you've got to understand, we've been drawn by the Holy Ghost to be together. So we were coming together. Sunday's been set aside for that time for us to come together. And there's those that are you're watching online, we appreciate that you've come uh, to be with us also. And you can be at home watching online and feel like you've been to, been to church. But there's also something about coming here that when we come, it's mainly we're being drawn by the Holy Ghost to be here. I venture to say very few of you in this room five years ago could have seen yourself sitting here today. Yeah, Michael's like, no way. But he said he's happy that he is. And it's because the Holy Spirit's drawn us here for such an occasion because God deems it necessary or at least it's of an advantage for us to come together under the preaching of His Word and us worshiping God. So it is my prayer that you leave today feeling good that you've been in the house of the Lord. And you, when you leave, you feel like you've been to church. And uh, we can, ever what that spiritual feeling is, I know it's a true spiritual phenomena. Now, as I began this teaching today, pastor called me yesterday afternoon and asked that I would fill the pulpit this morning, and I told him I'd be honored to. There's a lot of people in this room that could do a better job than me, and that's not false humility. I know a lot of you. <laughs> you could do a better job than me, but it's with great honor the Lord picked me to be here today, and it's with that in mind, I'm going to give it my best shot and uh, see if you can catch what I feel like the Lord's given us here today, and the title of this message is The Beginning of Wisdom. And with this title, could we agree on that if the world needs anything today, especially the United States with our crowd, do we not need a little wisdom? Uh, do you not think we could use a little? Could somebody say amen? amen? That it seems that wisdom has escaped our whole is escaping, I should say, our culture. Wisdom is, is actually a person who runs into wisdom is a person who has run into a good thing. And I will refer to this term as wisdom this morning, but 
the one who has all wisdom is the Holy Spirit of God. That's where all true wisdom comes to. And it just so happens that the way God's designed this thing, it's, again, it's God's architectural design that he would like for his people to be a storage of his wisdom. And then we run all over the planet operating in his wisdom to bring healthy and good outcomes to situations. So I submit to you this morning, and I do say I submit it for a testing to see if what I submit today is a witness to your spirit. So I'll start this with the beginning of wisdom would be the title. The beginning of wisdom is to some today could be the first day of the beginning of wisdom. To others of us, we've encountered wisdom uh, years ago. Sometimes I feel as though I've shook his hand at the front door and then I didn't look for him as much anymore. But let's look at what the scripture says about the beginning of wisdom. Now I'm going to look at Proverbs 9 uh, verse 10. It will be our text uh, for this morning. As you're looking at this, it's easy for us to apply this to others. But our main thing is to apply it to ourselves. And this is the verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now that's Proverbs. We know Solomon, which is considered the man with the most wisdom that's been on the planet as of to date. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the beginning of wisdom would be what? The fear of the Lord. So I'm going to jump into this just a little bit, if you'll go with me. I'm going to go quickly, kind of like a, a dentist appointment. I'll get through this as painless as possible. I don't think any Novocaine will be needed. We'll go quickly, though. Now, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and to righteousness. So now let's... Let's look at this. All, all Scripture, it says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine. And doctrine is, is teaches us what is right. Is, so is, is right doctrine important? Yes, it's, it's very important to have right uh, doctrine. There is such a thing. Then it says reproof. Now, what is reproof? It's what's not right. Okay. Anybody experience that one in Scripture? It's for doctrine. Doctrine is what's right. Uh, for reproof is for what's not right. For correction is how to get it right. Anybody had that one? So we see that, that here that in 2 Timothy, Apostle Paul's covering this whole spectrum of understanding for instruction and in righteousness is to stay right. Uh, I think that's a good way to put it. You can give the credit to that one to Chuck Missler. That's taken straight from him. I love the guy. A lot of this teaching and other teaching by other writers, I, I don't claim any originality to anything that I've, I've been taught, everything that I know, either by others or the Holy Ghost. It's amazing how I have received things of revelation. I think, I'm, I can't believe I see that. And then two years later, to find somebody wrote about it. They got the revelation too. So at 70 years old, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I'm convinced that the revelations that I get through others or through the Holy Ghost, he's given it to others also. And I had an old preacher tell me one time, he said, Alan, as long as God's given it to others before you, then you can know it's true. You can know it's not heresy. 
But anyway, so we see here it says that doctrine is we got what's right, what's not right, how to get it right, and then how to stay right. That's what the scripture has been given to us for. Now let's look at it quickly. What is your most important stewardship in life? To me, that's a very important question. As individuals, I'm speaking this to you, not to somebody else. This is personal. What is your most important stewardship in life? You can think, well, it's my family, it's my job. Let's see what the scripture says. It's your heart. Your heart is your most important point and place of stewardship. Your own personal heart. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with what? All diligence. For out of it are the what? Issues of life. So all of us are sitting in here today and our first and foremost responsibility to start with is we are all responsible for our own heart, not somebody else's behavior. Now you can blame it on somebody else all you want to. I'm not even saying they're not guilty. Perhaps you've heard me say this before. You can only have authority over what you own. That's where your authority lies. So if you own your heart, if you own your behavior, then you can do something about it. If you say, well, somebody else has done this to me or whatever, that's, I, I get it. I get all that. That's the reason we have the cross of Christ, so we can forgive someone so that our heart's not tied up in this trash pile of unforgiveness. We can be, and it's all about the heart. Now let's move forward here. Now in the book of Proverbs, I'm going to go through some scripture. Today's teaching, it will be quick, and, but I want, to, I want to put an emphasis on something. It said in the beginning of this, that the beginning of wisdom was what? The fear of the Lord, the fear of God. Now in the day that we're living in today and with the gospel that's given, there's a lot of emphasis put on the grace of God, which I am all for and I promote highly. It's for a loving God I promote and I'm all for. A forgiving God I'm for. All of these things. This is how we lay all of this out. But it seems that we're a little absent on the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Now, what makes grace good is because you know what judgment is. Grace is with the backdrop of judgment, right? How can grace be sweet unless judgment is realized? How can you be in love with the Lord lest you understand that you've been saved from hell? With the backdrop of hell, it makes the salvation that the Lord did for us even the more sweeter. And so we're talking about wisdom this morning. So I must be true to the scriptures, and it talks about the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. We don't get many teachings, perhaps, on that, but I'm going to be heavy fear at the beginning of this teaching, and I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to, I would love to set the truth out here, this part of God that is to be feared and dreaded. Now, let's look at it quickly. We won't stay here long. If you'll just capture what I think the Lord and I'm saying this out of persuasion that I'm being obedient to the Holy Ghost. At the end of it, when you leave, perhaps you can say, it wasn't good to be in church today. But if you say that, I hope it's because you're under conviction. Proverbs is God's instruction on how to live life wisely. This is beyond keeping laws. So 
we got the laws of God, and then we got the wisdom of God. And so Proverbs is something beyond laws, and it's called wisdom. Focuses on leading a dynamic life aggressively. That's what the book of Proverbs does. Now, if you're living, if you read the book of Proverbs, you, it would behoove you to have the mindset of an aggressive life. You can't read the Proverbs and be lazy. The book of Proverbs gives us proper and improper attitudes and conduct. And I want to speak now on the three losers or the three classes of people who desperately need wisdom. So you can find, there actually will be four classes here, but we're going to start with the three classes of people who need wisdom. You can say, well, Alan, I have wisdom or I have a level of wisdom. Is there anyone in here that would not like to have more wisdom? Wisdom is the operation of applying truth at the right time. Did you know you can apply truth at the wrong time and have the opposite outcome as you were looking for? Truth is truth, but it is to be under the direction of the Holy Ghost. I've made this analogy before. You can roll someone into an operating room, a brain surgeon comes in, cuts the head open to do surgery, Looks down at the paperwork, needs a heart transplant. Uh-oh. Well, the truth is, is the best brain surgeon in the hospital, but he was going to apply his truth at the wrong time or on the wrong patient. A lot of times we just think truth is like a Gatlin gun or something. We're just going there and shoot everybody with it. And that's what we do as Christians. We just shoot up everybody with truth. And, you know, we're guilty. I know I'm guilty of doing that with the uh, homosexual community. Yeah, that's what I said. Sometimes I'm guilty of just using a Gatlin gun, just shooting truth out there, knowing inside that perhaps that wasn't given under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Some truth, all truth, needs to be given under the direction of the Holy Spirit because truth given in its season and in proper time, it might even be total surgery to the individual, but it can bring life and not death. That's what wisdom is is knowing when to apply truth so that it has the outcome that God desires. So we got three classes of people here in Proverbs 1.22. How long, ye simple ones? Don't raise your hands, please. Will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. Don't raise hands. And the fools hate knowledge. If you are one, you won't know to raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> So we got, we got three classes of, of people here. We're going to look at them quickly. The simple, scorners, it says, and fools. Now, if you feel a little kinship, I feel a little kinship to all three of those at different times of my life, maybe even last week, a time or two, but I'm, I have to ask my wife on that one. He starts off with these simple ones, the scorners and fools. So this is a teaching on the beginning of wisdom. I'm just doing Bible here. Now, we're going to do a lot of Bible for several slides here. You have to test it. You read it. Let it apply where it applies. But we're talking about wisdom, and we got three losers that the book of Proverbs speaks about. I'll say it again. Losers. Three losers. Uh, scorners mock God's wisdom. It says this in Proverbs 14:6. A scorner seeketh wisdom. Okay. And findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. So a scorner is one that will seek wisdom, but won't find it. 
has, I'm going to give an easy one, has, uh, let's say someone's moving in the church house in the direction of the Holy Ghost, and they might come up here and do a flag, or, or they might give a word. Have you ever heard anybody give a word, and they don't speak but about every third word, and you can't understand a thing that they've said? A testimony. Yeah, of course you have. You've probably even been that a time or two. But nonetheless, you can say, oh, I didn't understand. That wasn't God. I couldn't understand a thing they said. That is a scorner. Whereas the Spirit of God's moving, you don't have enough wisdom to know that God's moving. So therefore, you scorn what God's doing. We've got to be careful when God's moving in everybody's life. As, as long as it's sticking to the book, could it be that we would spend less time judging it and more time trying to understand what they're saying? You see, when something's given of the Spirit, you feel it before you hear it. A lot of the times the reason they're speaking every third word is between their tears. Or they're speaking so fast you can't understand them. I've seen people over and over under the anointing of the Holy Ghost stand up and give a testimony. And I'm like, I've got, at the end, I've got to give an interpretation. I know nobody got that. That's happened to me multiple times. Just about every time, maybe every time when I wasn't listening, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't touch it. Why? Because it was given in the power of the Spirit. I didn't understand it, but I just know that it was given in the power of the Spirit. You can call that wisdom, I guess, because I had fear of God. Now, scorners, they are people who know everything. You haven't ever met someone like that, have you? Have you ever been that person, I guess, is a proper question. <laughs> I hear Rick Phillips back there. Now, Proverbs 21, <laughs> 24 said, Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in a proud wrath. In other words, that's when you want God to bring the wrath down on a homosexual or somebody that you deem lesser than you. This is Bible. It's not Alan. Uh, that's what a, a scorner. That's, that's what the Bible calls mocking God's wisdom. That's what the Bible calls. So we need to take note there. They never profit from a rebuke. Proverbs 9, 8. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. <laughs> Anybody ever been the hated one? Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Wow, wow, wow. How much of a scorner is still in me? Now let's look at the fool. Since no one raised their hands on the scorner, we'll go to the fool as a person who is dense, sluggish, careless, and self-satisfied, hates instruction. The person who is dense, sluggish, careless, self-satisfied, and hates instruction. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, if you're sitting here this morning and you despise my wisdom and instruction for you, you might be a fool if. Now, it's also the fool is too self-confident. What I mean by that is, at 70, I've had a great opportunity to experience the lack of success at my, a lot of my great ideas. I've lived long enough to, at 40, I didn't quite have it, and 50, 70, I have had enough time to experience the failure of a lot of my great ideas. Now, that's a great thing. Number one, to survive it is, is, is a great thing. I don't know if any of y'all have a witness of what I'm trying to say, but it is, and the problem was I had too much self-confidence. A lot of people don't have any self-confidence. I understand that, but you wouldn't come under be classified probably as a fool. 
I'm talking about to those that would have too much self-confidence, which it, and what is too much self-confidence? It would, of course, be pride. Too self-confident. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. That's the reason that this church, and like a normal elders meeting, nobody dictates the meeting. Brian can give testimony to this. Nobody dictates the meeting. A lot of you guys that were elders before uh, can testify to this. You go into an elders meeting, everybody brings up their idea, what they think or whatever. But it's all submitted to the council of men. And you might sometimes be so determined in what you're bringing to the table, you know is right, but it'll be shot down. And the question is, that was, is where it could, will you hearken unto the counsel that is wise? The scriptures teaches us then in a council of men, I'm not excluding women here, but in the council of a group of people, there is more wisdom than in one person. Now, I'm speaking about people that you trust and that are godly and that are walking with God, of course. It's fine for us to submit what we're thinking. That's one of the, the great things of being a Christian. I've had situations that I've had a prophetic word, and, and I, just, I just know it's incredible, prophetic word to submit it to a council or two or three, and they'd say, no, Alan, I don't think it's time. Only to find out that it happened within a course of a month or two. To me, I was like, they were wrong. But do you know what? I've got greater faith in that council than I am, am that I was right. Just because I was right doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. We've got to understand, the council is where the wisdom is over what you think is right. I hope you can receive that. Test what I say. Now, somebody that's a fool talks without thinking. Y'all were really slow at raising your hands in here today. Uh, talks without thinking. I know that's not any of us here. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. <laughs> and we could laugh on that one a while, couldn't we, Brian? Let me move on quickly. The simple. They are those who believe everything and everybody and lack discernment. Now, this one, I mean, sometimes it just really gets me how I lack discernment. You know what? I, it's amazing how I can discern what I can see. Just because you can see some things, don't think you can see all things. The greater you are at seeing some things is the dumber you are in all things. I'm just telling you. Some people have got a gift of discernment. All of a sudden, I've got a blanket thing here. I can discern all things. No, you're pretty good at discerning certain areas, and in other areas, you're dumber than a rock. i got a friend of mine, I'll call him a friend, I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years, but Rick Joyner, I hadn't seen a greater gift of discernment in my life than Rick and what he could see, but what he couldn't see, he does flat couldn't see it. But what he could see, there wasn't any clear. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? So here we go. They are easily led astray by others and lack understanding. Proverbs 7, 7, and behold, and beheld among the simple ones, I discern among the youths a young man void of understanding. They cannot see ahead and repeatedly walk into trouble. You might be, okay, here we go. Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, you just walk right into a rattlesnake pit. So the wise, let's jump into there right quick so I can get some hands raised. Listen to instruction. Proverbs 1.5. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsel. They obey what they hear. That's what a wise man does. Proverbs 10.8. The wise in heart 
will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Now, this is something. A wise man will win others to the Lord. What, who would think that would be one of the characteristics? Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. How can I know what's proof to me that I'm wise? I win the souls to the Lord. Could it be that my wisdom runs with those that I give the gospel to? Just a little self-test here. If you want to know how wise you are, this is part of a wise person. Now, let's do a little more. A wise watch their tongue. As hands go up, I watch the audience, those that watch their tongue. Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. That's how you can know if you're wise, you tend to hold your tongue. And you can say, well, Alan, every now and then I just don't. Well, you probably are a wise person, but you're not being wise that moment. Okay, we'll, we'll give each other that one. Probably not being wise. They are diligent in their daily work. Look at the proverb here. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. A wise person is someone who works and prepares. They store up what they learn. Proverbs 10 14. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Now, I'm going to do a summary of the three losers. We're going to get out of the losers. You see the wise person. The scorner rejected wisdom and met destruction. Listened to folly, received destruction. The fool rejected wisdom and was led to death. He listened to folly and received death. The simple gets a little worse, rejected wisdom and went to hell in Proverbs 9, 18. He listened to folly and ended up in hell. Now that's according to your Bible. If you want to pass judgment on it, you'll have to take it up with the Word of God. Now, I want to get into the fear of the Lord here. It talks about those three. It's 1141, so I must hurry. If y'all will listen quickly, I will talk quickly. Proverbs 9, 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Fear of the Lord. This is where we get started, the vocabulary of fear. Now, I want us to consider just for the next five to ten minutes, we're going to go over what is the fear of God? What is the fear of the Lord? And it uh, appears to me that we have, this is not in our vocabulary as much as it needs to be with the believer. So surely to goodness, just one of these a year would do you, okay? So it talks about the fear of the Lord. The Old Testament uses 17 different words in Hebrew about the fear of the Lord. Now we've got to understand that the fear of the Lord, uh, it says in Psalms, ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel. So it's said here, even in praise, there's an element here in the worship of the fear of the Lord. Uh, yar is, uh, is the Hebrew word. It means to fear. Uh, be reverent, be great, afraid, to stand in awe of. In other words, when we're worshiping, this word fear here means those definitions. Gore, which is to seek hospitality with, to excite oneself, to dread. You see that? Fear, stand in awe, be afraid. <clears throat> in Psalm 33, 8, let all of the earth fear the Lord, it says. Let all the inhabitants in the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 89, 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And it seems to me that there's an element of this in our grace congregations 
that sometimes we treat God like he's just our buddy. And I just, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that we treat, I understand how we want to, I just don't see that in scripture. That's all. He's to be reverenced. He's to be feared. In other words, that means respected. There is a respect element uh, of our relationship with God. And uh, at times I fear we lose some of that. Uh, greatly to be feared, it says here. That word is aris. It means to tremble and dread of. I, I can't make that a soft landing. That's just the word there. This is not a casual behavior. Now let's move on here in Isaiah 8, 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Fear, that Hebrew word is fear, reverence, terror. A dread here is eretz to tremble in dread of. So that, that's, that's an emotional response to, to the presence of, of God. It is a testimony that we know He's here. Okay, that's just part of it. And I'm going to get it. I got a better landing than this. Okay, just hang with me. It's just important that we understand. Now, because if people talk with me all the time, well, Alan, I don't think God's going to have tribulation. I think all that's figured to live off. I'm saying you just don't understand God. You don't get it, who God really is. And, and we're living in a time of His grace and His mercy, y'all. But God's God. And we're living in a time of grace and mercy, but He, he doesn't want us to forget who He is. And we're being reverence and to honor and realize He's God and we're not. And, and this is not just something in your imagination. It's real. So here we, here we go again. Fear of the Lord. Second Chronicles and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in the Old Testament scriptures I could have used. Uh, there again was the fear of God. That's another word, pocket, is to live under a fearful apprehension of a distant danger, which keeps the mind in suspense. Today we are living in this type of fear. Let me move on quickly. We need to be sensitive to what Christ has done for us in standing before God. See, when we understand what's, what's coming, we understand and have a proper fear for God. Then it makes us more sensitive to what Christ has done for us. Right? That's good news, people. You can say whoopee. Okay. Amen. There we go. Now, Let's go into the New Testament. Somebody say, praise God. New Testament vocabulary of fear is a phobio. Uh, the meaning is to put to flight by terrifying, to scare away, to put to flight, to flee, to be struck with fear, to be startled by strange sights or occurrences. Those struck with amazement to reverence, to treat with reverential obedience. Ah, that didn't soften it too much, did it? We usually think, well, get in in the New Testament, it'll, it'll soften it. Well, not yet. Let's look at usage of fear, New Testament, 62 times. 23 times is be afraid, be afraid of five times. Reverence is one time. Other is two times for a total of 93 times is how many times that word is used. We are to have a reverential trust as a believer. Every day God is presenting with us with new ways to trust Him. Have you noticed? The issue here is reverential trust. We want to know, we want to remember who God is. We want to have a reverential fear for God. And then, you see, we thought when we came to Christ, life would get easier. 
that hasn't worked out for me. Maybe for some of you it has. Now, I'm not saying that God hasn't blessed me because he has. I can be blessed with a great corn crop, but it just means you work more. A blessing from God means you got a job. You got more to do. You got more to bring into the barns. So to be blessed of God equals something. It usually equals equals more work or whatever, and it's a blessing, and, and now let's go to work. The key here is reverential trust. Now, I'm trying to convey something this morning. I hope you don't go to sleep on me. I'm trying to relate something this morning that's tremendously important. Now, this reverential trust is what happens to us every day. Every day we wake up, God's got a new challenge for me to trust Him more in. Is that just me, or can I... I wrote that, but I think that's everybody I talk to. It's, it's just another, and, he, and God comes up with this new stuff. I just get one kind of down pat, and then now we've got a new one, you know, to trust God with. But we've got to understand, it's kind of by God's design, too. There again, I'm saying, God's not as, as squeezy, He's not like a fluffy teddy bear, I'm sorry. He's determined for us to trust Him to the uttermost. Pastor Steve and Kelly are in a situation right now. They're having to trust him to the uttermost. Did you know that's all of us sitting in this room and those watching online? That's all of us. We're all running to a situation that we will trust God to the uttermost. It's always going to be over your head. It's always going to be something you can't fix. If I could only fix it, you can't get in there. Only God can get in there. And we all run into that as don't care how small it is or how big it is. Reverential trust. A non-believer should be in fear. If you're a believer, we have fear, a reverence for the Lord, but we don't have to be in fear of the Lord. So there's one thing to have reverential fear because we know who God is. I, I can compare this to Christ because the scriptures do. I always draw up when I see these people that have raised these tigers and lions. Y'all watch the videos, and they come up, and they love them, they rub them. I'm like, mm. you know. I thought, think it'd bite your head off at any moment. Am I the only one that feels that? I can't hardly watch them. I watched one the other day, and this lion was running up behind this one guy, and he knew it was coming, and it jumped on him, and I mean, knocked him down, and he was just hugging his neck, and Line was biting him, but just barely, I mean, you know, just barely. I'm like, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I hate to compare God to that, but God is that. He could bite our head off at any moment. Does somebody realize that? He's the line of Judah. You're, everybody wanting to have him as Aslan. I want to see who was Aslan before he was Aslan. He was God. He turned into Aslan, which was a type of Christ. I love God with all my heart. I love him as much as I, as close to him as I, as my fear will let me get, if anybody can understand that. Now, let me move on. Second Timothy says this, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, power, and love of a sound mind. See that? So he's talking about something different here. Timidity, fearfulness, coward, cowardness. That's what this word here is for spirit of fear. He's, we're not to be a coward. Can you... Did you know that? We're not, we're, easy, we're being exhorted here not to be a coward. Timidity is, is what this is rendered, translated as spirit of fear. 
Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Y'all read that one over and over. Here's the, the, Greek, or the Greek word, inspiring fear, affected with fear, timid. I'm going to move quicker. A fearful thing. Uh, in Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers, sorcerers, and it goes on and on. It says, here's what got me on this verse. It starts with fearful and unbelieving. That's where it starts. And then it gets into all the other stuff. So, the, so this verse starts with uh, the fearful and unbelieving. Why is fearful at the top of this list? Because they are not trusting God. They're, they're, they're timid. Cowards. So we don't look at ourselves as being a coward and not trusting God. Can you, can you see that? Let me move on quickly. Now here's reverential trust. The key to relationship with God is reverential trust. Trust is the issue. Now, if, if you go away from anything to, today, this message is about trusting God at a higher level than what you trusted Him, perhaps even when you came in. Life gives us new ways to trust God each and every day. The grace of God is also the issue and understanding to fear Him. Now, let me get it, do this. He is the lion and the lamb, okay? He is the lion and the lamb. You got to understand, He comes as the lamb as the sacrifice, and then He comes as the second time, as the first time He came as a lamb, second time He comes as a lion. Can you hear that? Now that, and, and, and that's a lion, everything that goes with it. The book of Romans is the grace of God revealed. Now I'm just going to do this one quickly. It is about God's righteousness and our sinfulness. And the book of Romans gives us explanation about this fear of God. It is about God's remedy through His grace to our problem with the fear of God. Grace, and this is what Hal Lindsey said, grace equals God's riches at Christ's expense. You know something that's... That little quote by Hal Lindsey, which I've always liked. You must understand our dilemma is to understand the remedy. God, we are to fear God. God is to be feared. But then God, being as awesome as He is, said, I want to give a remedy to my awesomeness so that their fear can be healthy. Are you with me? Well, we've got to understand His awesomeness and our fear towards Him to understand our dilemma and what Christ has done for us to allow us to come into the presence of this awesome God that could bite our head off. Does that make any sense? Okay, let's go on here. I'm about done. Christ went to an extreme. He had to go to an extreme. This allowed God to forgive us and not compromise His righteousness. That's what happened. That's, that's, that's what happened. I had a dream uh, years ago, and I've seen, some of you have heard me tell it before, but I, it does apply here. In the dream, I was standing here, and the angel of the Lord was beside me here, and it looked like 10 tombstones, you know, just like a, like a tombstone where it was out in front of us. And I looked at the angel, and I was like, is, is this a graveyard? And he said, no. He said, walk up to him. So I walked up to him. Well, the 10 tombstones... Tombstones, don't try to figure something. It didn't mean anything. They weren't tombstones. They were just rock. And on those ten stones were the ten commandments. And, and, and the angel looked at me and he said, that's God's message to the earth. It was the ten commandments. That's God's message. And then the angel looked at me and he said, in this, this is the dream, judge it what you will. 
But then, then he looked at me and said, that's God's message to the world. And he said, but the world couldn't do it. And he said, so God came. This is the angel telling me the dream. He said, God is simplistic, but still is a dream. The angel said, so God came and fulfilled his message to the earth so that his righteousness would be full. And this is what he said to me. He said, God's love was greater than his own message. Can y'all hear that like I heard it in a dream? He said, God's love is greater than his own message. And in the dream, I was like, oh my gosh. Then he looked at me and said, never preach or teach unless your love is greater than the message you're given. Can anybody hear what I'm not saying? Is our love for the homosexual or lesbian or trans whatever, is our love greater for them than the message we got to give them? Because they're not going to get the message if our love's not greater than our message. So, uh, let me move on quickly. I've got to wrap this thing up here. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of or from God is revealed, it says. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So righteousness is revealed. The Greek proposition is ek, is out of or from. This identifies a righteousness that God provides for people on the basis of and in response to the faith in the gospel. Let me say it again. This righteousness, God provides it on the basis that we respond to the gospel. We receive it. So, so right now, God's done it all. And I keep up with this. This awesome God that's to be feared, He gave us a remedy. To justify a person is to declare him legally righteous. For you courts of heaven people, there you go. Use that one in court. To justify a person is declared him legally righteous. It says in Habakkuk, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. This is the big mark, right? It's in Habakkuk. That's where it starts. Then it goes to here. The just, okay, that's fine. But who are they? Romans 1.1. 1, 1. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Now, if you want to find out who they are, go to the book of Romans and you'll know who they are. The just people are. Go to the book of Romans. They shall live, it says. All right. How shall they live? It's in Galatians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now, a lot of people don't know that the just shall live by faith is this many times in the Bible. But it's written... It's in Galatians. You go to Galatians. The book of Galatians tells us how to live. And we see it there. And and you're not not justified by the law in the sight of God. But by faith, it says, and y'all know the scripture. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that uh, which are seen are uh, not made by things that do appear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not from yourselves. It's a a gift of God. I hope that verse means a little more to you. It's a gift from God. We've went from the fear of God to a gift of God. He loved us more than his own message. 
He fulfilled his message. Now watch this. Now I want you to consider something here. This, this is a partial quote of a preacher I heard a while back, but, then I, I, but I got it in these words. I, and I'm closing here. I want you to get this. In religion, acceptance comes at the end on the basis of an assessment based on merit. Now this is religion, all religions. Acceptance comes at the end of life. That's, that's a religion. Because you have to have this assessment that's based off of your merit. Is there off of works? Everybody got that? If that is religion, then Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship because acceptance comes at the beginning. Amen. Christianity is the only thing that acceptance comes at the beginning. It's <laughs> a glory to God. It doesn't come at the end. We don't have to wait to see if we got justified or not. We got it at the beginning. Just amen, somebody. Just praise God, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm accepted. At the beginning, I don't have to wait on my merit. It's not by works, lest any man boast. The difference in Christianity and all religions, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And our relationship with Him begins. Your relationship should be growing. If you're in a true relationship, you should be growing in relationship with Christ every day. Because it's a relationship. It's not a get free card. Skip hell and go to heaven card. It's no, that's religion. Relationship means that you have accepted him and received him. And so, therefore, you get the goods at the beginning of this thing. Now, watch this. That's radical. Christianity is not a religion but a relationship. Christ came into our world and he told us that if we listen to him and believe in him as the Savior of the world, we would have in that moment eternal life. Therefore, acceptance comes at the beginning. Somebody say amen. I know that's somewhat simplistic, but it is our whole life. My prayer is that you leave from here today understanding you're not doing a religion here. You're doing a relationship. And if you're not growing closer and closer to the Lord every day of your life, your relationship's going to pot. You want to grow closer, not further away. And God gives us this opportunity to repent on how we've treated our relationship with him, that we might get back on track. I didn't realize I was off track, God. I've gotten off track. I'll say just something here. Have you asked him to come into your life? Have you begun this relationship? You can by faith in what he has said. Just trust him and he'll take it from here.